Welcome to Behavioral Science Uncovered, the podcast about behavioral science and how it is made. Welcome everyone. Today I'm talking with Florence Zimmerman, professor at the Brick Institute on Behavior and Inequality and professor at the University of Bonn. We will discuss his paper, Associative Memory and Belief Formation. Thanks, Rafael. My, my pleasure. Very happy, very happy to be here. So let's start with the first question. Much of your recent work revolves around the formation of beliefs. How did you end up working on these topics? So I think I, I became interested in, in studying beliefs sort of rather early during my PhD, because back then sort of a couple of scholars had, had argued that you know, that beliefs and expectations might play a, a crucial role for many, you know, interesting economic phenomena, you know, understanding boom and bust cycles, things, things like that. And I felt that sort of on the, on the behavioral side, there was a bit of an imbalance between work on preferences compared to work on beliefs, even though I think now this, this has clearly changed in, in recent years. This turned out to be very, very successful. So recently you were entitled an ERC starting ground for your research on memory and belief formation. So when did you actually decide to apply and how was your overall experience with it? Um, so I think this, this had been on my mind for a while. Um, and then sort of more, more concretely, I felt that you know, when, I, when I started getting interested in, in memory and belief formation, that that might make a, a good case for a, for a grant proposal. But the, sort of honestly, the, the most concrete reason for applying now was that this year was actually my last chance to apply for a, for a starting grant, because then you know, I'm, I'm aged out of the, <laughs> of the starting grade uh, cohort. But um, the second question about sort of the, the, the overall process, I think this went, yeah, this went very, very, very smoothly. So I don't have, uh, I, I don't have much insights there. It's a bit of an uh, administrative hassle, but there are many people that, that, that help you with that. So overall, the experience was, was quite positive, yeah. Okay, okay. Like, how long did it take to prepare the proposal? So I would, uh, it's a bit difficult to measure because initially, you know, it's more of a, of a thinking process, but I would say maybe between four and, and six weeks. So good payoff. <laughs> <laughs> So let's talk about your paper, Associative Memory and Belief Formation. Could you maybe briefly outline the main message? Sure, sure, sure. Happy to, happy to do that. Um, so what we do in this project, um, as the title suggests, is that we study the role of associative memory for belief formation. Uh, so I think until, until now there has been very little empirical research that sort of ties memory to the, to the belief formation uh, literature in, uh, in econ. Um, now, the specific principle we, we are focusing on is this principle of associative recall, which I think is, is really one of the, the core principles that is coming out of, of memory research. And it basically says that um, the recall of a memory trace is, is essentially cued by, um, well, by, by cues you are observing that are mentally associated with, uh, with the trace. And what you can, what you can easily see in, in, uh, in, in models, for instance, is that this principle of associative recall can actually generate overreaction, uh, overreaction to news. So okay. what we do in this, in this project is we, we design an experiment that allows you to study, or that allows us to study the causal role 
of this principle of associative recall um, for belief formation. And so what we can show is that uh, it is indeed this principle of associative recall that can generate overreaction to news. Um, and so because this is a very sort of controlled uh, lab environment, we can rather precisely isolate the role of associative recall and can really show that this is what causes overreaction in our setting. And we can also sort of precisely predict when when it does actually generate overreaction, but also when it generates underreaction. Any listener is welcome to take a closer look at the paper. I think there is much to learn from. <laughs> Thank you. Those of your courses, Benjamin Enke and Frederik Schwerter, have their roots in Bonn. Did you establish your relationship during your time at Bonn, or did you meet them at a later stage? How did the cooperation start? Um, so I think I met uh, both of them while we were uh, all PhD students in uh, in Bonn. So we so I started working with with Benny on a on another project on on, on correlation neglect and belief formation, uh-huh. and with with Freddy on a project on um, on the, the role of experiences uh, on uh, people's beliefs about the trustworthiness of others. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now about the about the specific project on associative memory. If I, I think if I remember correctly, I think we had we had discussed ideas related to memory and belief formation for for quite a while, and then sort of once this the more specific idea took shape, we we just decided to you know jointly jointly work on this project. But I met both of them. I met both of them during the PhD. Yes. This is a nice example, actually, like of converging research interest, I would say. <laughs> yeah, 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 I agree. <laughs> we will now turn to a specific question concerning the paper. The formal framework is based on Bordado et al. and Miller Nason. How was the process? Did you start with the interest to explore the role of associative recall for belief formation and look for suitable models? Or did you find the theoretic framework appealing and wanted to test the predictions? Mm-hmm. So I think I think sort of initially we were we were just very excited about the, the potential implications uh-huh. of associative recall for for belief formation and then we I guess we felt that we needed a model to sort of you know guide our thinking and and, and develop clear hypotheses and uh, in doing so we realized that you know these models are sort of the, the basic formal framework actually already existed in 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 the work by Modalo Jenna Schleifer and in the work by Molenison that you that you just described. Uh-huh. And then sort of we our life was easy because we could sort of rely and build on their formal framework. So the general process was first application and then look for the workers model and try to include the ideas. Exactly, exactly. And in our case in our case it was easy because the like I said, sort of the, the very basic formal framework already. So could you guide us through the timeline of the project? Like, for example, at which time was the definite research question articulated? Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah, that's a good that's a good question. So I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure I remember. So I think um, I think we sort of developed the the main idea maybe in summer 2018. Okay. Uh, but you know, then of course, it, you know, it took a couple of months to you know refine the idea and you know articulate a clear hypothesis. But if I remember correctly, it was sort of in summer 2018 where we, where we, where the sort of the basic research question took took shape. 
So how long did you design the experiment afterwards? Like, and how long did it take to finally run it? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Let's see. So I think, um, I don't know. I think certainly, certainly a couple of months. Um, certainly a couple of months. So we, we, we've been going back uh, and forth on a, you know, a couple of different design ideas. And then there were a couple of design steps that, that were somewhat involved so the, or that you know, took, took a lot of time in, uh, in, in sorting out. Uh -huh. So I can't give you a precise number, but I would certainly a couple of months. Do you have a favorite software or any recommendation to run experiments? For example, O-Tree or Z-Tree? In the end, you did run your experiment with Quartrix. Was there any specific reason? No, so I don't. No, no. So I, personally, I don't have a favorite. Uh, <laughs> I don't have a favorite <laughs> software. I think we we decided for Quartrix mostly for for convenience because the experiment is is individual decision making, and then you know things are relatively easy to to implement in in Qualtrix. and sort of uh -huh. the, you know the interface looks looks reasonably nice and so on. But I think it's really a question of convenience and a question of, you know, how, how powerful is the software and, you know, does it allow you to implement the, the kind of experiment you want to implement. I see, yeah. How did you come up with the creative stories within your experiment? Uh, so if I remember correctly, I think um, we had agreed on a, a sort of a couple of criteria for these, for these stories. And, okay. then, and then basically we... we, we we split it up, so each of us had to come up with a bunch of stories, uh, and then we sort of refined them. We we refined them together, so it was a sort of a group effort, I would say. <laughs> you did pre-register your experiment. Would you say that pre-registering has limited your ability to incorporate new ideas afterwards? Mm -hmm. That's a that's a good question. So I, I don't I don't think so. I mean. You know, it's not that 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 pre-registration is really entirely inflexible, right? So, for instance, in our case, sort of over time, we we develop new new treatments and and new hypotheses, uh -huh. um, and uh, you know, with pre-registration, that that still allows you to do that if you then you know just add a new pre-registration plan to the to the initial plan, um, right? So, I think in total, we now had maybe maybe three pre-registration plans that sort of. One, one, one came after the other, and you know you just need to be transparent about uh, about this and about the timeline. And I think in general, I think pre-registration is 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 you know is not entirely in, inflexible. Uh -huh. And I think uh, in particular, as long as you are transparent with with what you're doing, um, it, it I think it provides you with with quite reasonable flexibility. I would say. Okay, so. How much do you feel has the project altered as a result of conversations with colleagues, seminar and conference presentations? Oh, I think, you know, to be honest, I think with all projects, I think the, this had a substantial, this had a very substantial impact throughout actually. So, you know, from the, from the beginning where we started to think about the, the idea, we, we received many helpful feedback uh, until the point when we, you know, circulated the first draft and, and started uh, Presenting, so I think throughout uh, there was um, there we received great comments and, and and great great feedback that you know helped helped shape the the, the, uh, the project. So you would suggest that early career researchers should connect as much as possible and present as much as possible. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. Yes. So I think you know 
presenting ideas, testing ideas, getting feedback is yeah is absolutely crucial, I think. And it's also you know learning how to how to deal with with feedback and how to incorporate it. I I think is super important. Absolutely. Were the econometric methods clear from the beginning, or did they evolve with the design? And more specifically, after the pilot study. Mm -hmm. So I think in our case, um, it uh, it was not clear from the beginning, but it was clear after we had the model, because then the the model really um, really sort of very strongly guided the the empirical analysis, and it also very strongly guided the the pre-registration. So I think once we had the model, the the basic analysis was was very clear. Okay, I see. The model led to the method. Let's move away from discussing the paper and instead imagine working day. I'm curious about how you schedule your day. Do you schedule in time alone or time with colleagues just for brainstorming ideas? Uh -huh, uh -huh. Let's see, so normal working day. Uh, so I try to sleep very long. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, of course. So the, what, I, what I try to do is I, I try to keep... Um, I usually try to keep the mornings free for for research, uh -huh. um, so that I have you know that, that there's no appointments and and stuff like that in in the mornings. Really, only ideally only research, and uh -huh. then the the afternoon I would say is you know for meetings, calls with co-authors, but also you know students writing referee reports, administrative stuff. So that's sort of my so that's sort of the 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 schedule I try to maintain. So research in the morning and then in the afternoon. Um, you know, meetings, calls. I mean, this obviously can also be research, right? When it's with with students or RAs or, or collaborators. But then okay. again, also you know, stuff like referee reports, administrative stuff. So I try to do this uh, not in the morning, but but in the afternoon. So you try to keep things separated. Yeah, but I mean, that's you know, that, that, that's just that that most of the time works well, but that it that it works well for others. But that's sort of my my strategy to, to schedule my days. And how does it look like when you actually write up the paper? Uh, so most of the time when it's a, when it's a, when it involves multiple co-authors, we, we just split tasks. So we say, look, somebody's going to write the, the write up the experimental design. If it's an experimental paper, somebody's going to summarize the, uh, the results we have. Another uh -huh. might, might write the introduction. So typically we split tasks and then we, you know, exchange and and uh, and refine and so on i think if for my for the for the few single authored papers i have if i remember correctly there i didn't have a particular strategy i just wrote them from the you know from the beginning so literally i started with the introduction and then you know design results conclusion so very simple <laughs> very very simple structure essentially when do you decide to circulate a first working paper version? Do you have any recommendation here? That's also a good question. So I think it 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 can depend a little bit on the on the specific project. So you know whether you uh -huh. worry that you know that there might be other researchers that work on something similar or something like that. But I would say in general, I, I try to circulate papers among friends you know, rather soon. In particular, you know, if, I, if I'm looking for specific feedback on something, and then I circulate it more broadly, really only when, when it's in, when I would say it's in, in very good shape. Um, but I think among friends, I, I, you know, I try to get feedback as, as soon as possible. 
Okay, I see. So a formal working paper version would be circulated later. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. Okay. okay. So that I think there it makes sense when it's when it's really in in sort of quite 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 decent shape. To conclude the interview, what single piece of advice would you give to early career researchers who try to write a publishable paper in behavioral economics? Are there any hot topics at the moment? Ah, so I think these are quite different questions. So I think the, let's see, so about the first one, to be to be honest there, I really think everybody, you know, needs, needs to find an own approach or sort of, you know, own own best practice on on how to how to do this and how to proceed what i what i will say is that i mean i, I think it's somewhat trivial but i'm going to say it nonetheless which is that you know find a topic that that you are really very excited about and the reason the reason is that i think you know this, this whole process of um, of writing a paper you know from the from the development of an idea to the design of an if it's an experimental paper to the design of an experiment to the data collection uh, data analysis writing up revising revising again all of this you know take takes so much time even though it's a lot of fun it takes so much time and, and energy that i think it you, you should really focus this energy on on stuff that that excites you i think um so that would be uh, yeah if you if you if you force me to say something that would be what i what i would recommend <laughs> So be excited about your topic. <laughs> yes, yeah. Again, I think it's I think it's quite trivial, but I think it should not be underestimated given the the amount of time you're gonna yeah, you're gonna work on a specific project and also the you know just the overall time span. I mean some projects, you know, can can take I mean can can take years essentially, right? Until the yeah. I mean there's projects where where, where there are five years between the initial idea and uh, and the published paper. And uh, so when you're not excited about it, I think it, it's going to be a painful process. Oh, yeah. I can imagine that. Florian, thank you very much for your time. It was a real pleasure to speak with you. The insights were fantastic. And I believe they are very valuable for all of us. Great. Thanks, Rafael, and thanks for having me. Dear listeners, please stay tuned for more conversations about behavioral science and how it is made. We hope to welcome you back at the next episode.